Welcome to another Mosin at Large Extra, and look at us go, we have reached episode 50. Yes, that is definitely deserving of a round of applause. Judy Dixon joins us to talk about her new book, Capturing and Sharing the World, and we talk more about issues getting audio-described content in the best format. Mosin at Large Podcast. You're very welcome to contribute to the podcast, and there are two ways to do it. You can drop me an email to Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com. You can write something in that email, or you can attach an audio recording using anything that records and that you can attach to an email. You can also call the listener line. That number is in the United States. It's 864-60-MOSIN, 864-606-6736, and record a message that could be included in the podcast. Concise contributions always help. We can't include everything because of the volume of contributions we receive. And please note that if we do use your content, we reserve the right to edit it for clarity and brevity. You can follow Mosin at Large, all one word, on Twitter to join the conversation with other listeners, to get sneak peeks about what's coming up on the podcast. And I regularly tweet links that I think will be of interest to Mosin at Large listeners. To keep up to date with Mosin at Large and radio-related activities I'm doing, you can subscribe to our media email list. It's announcements only, and the traffic is very light. To do that, send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org. That's media-subscribe at mosin.org. The podcast version of this show contains extracts from the full version, which is heard live on Mushroom FM at mushroomfm.com and anywhere that you listen to radio stations at 2 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time on a Saturday afternoon. For the full Mosin at Large experience, I encourage you to be part of that community. And finally, before we get into the episode this week, a reminder that this podcast is long, and to help you navigate past the bits that you aren't interested in to the bits that you are, it's segmented by chapters. If you have a podcast app capable of supporting chapters, and many on iOS and Android do this, you can skip between segments of the show. And given that this is a bit of a milestone episode, it's episode 50, it seems appropriate that this is the first episode to be published exclusively at our new home, our new podcast host. And obviously, if you are hearing this, then as I predicted, your podcast client has made the jump to our new home without incident. And that is what we like. So I will have more to say about this change. Maybe not this coming week, because this coming week's show, episode 51, promises to be very busy. But I will talk about podcast hosts at length very soon. But you may remember that last weekend we had Tim call in from the Netherlands regarding his concerns with respect to the exam process offered by the International Association of Accessibility Professionals. And I said at the time that I had reached out to IAAP and asked if they'd like to come on the show. They were more than pleased to come on the show and discuss the issues. I encourage you to check out that interview when it's published as part of Mosin at Large, episode 51. And of course, it'll be on Mushroom FM at 2 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time this coming Saturday afternoon. It's a good discussion. We will also hear from the mover of the resolution concerning IAAP at the NFB convention, Daryl Hillicker. He's in the same episode. Jonathan Mosin, Mosin at Large Podcast. One of the most useful accessibility-related iPhone books I have ever read is Judy Dixon's book, Get the Picture. For many years, cameras just weren't something that most blind people thought about, and increasingly, the camera is becoming an easier tool to use, and also, 
it's becoming easier to verify the photos that you've taken in terms of quality. Well, Get the Picture has had a significant update. Judy Dixon has now released a book called Capturing. I feel like this needs reverb. Capturing and sharing the world. Nothing like a bit of word domination. (laughs) Capturing and sharing the world. And it's all updated. It's shiny and new. It has a lot of information about how you can work with the camera. And and they are very powerful cameras on your iThing. And Judy Dixon joins me now. Welcome back, Judy. Good to have you here. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm really happy to be here. Is Get the Picture just outdated? Is that why you decided to do an update? Oh, it's. I actually wrote it in 2014, and I don't think that National Braille Press has had it available for several years, so it's it's out of date, and it had a very different focus. The the first chapter of Get the Picture, which dealt with kind of things to think about when you're taking pictures, how far away should you be, and things like that. That is similar and a bit more than was in the 2014 book, because I'm six years smarter or wiser or something. (laughs) But from there, it's a very different book, because Get the Picture dealt a great deal with apps that one would use a camera with, Um, everything from light detectors to color detectors and all that. This book doesn't have that kind of a focus. There is one small section about apps. Actually, it's really about seeing AI, but only because I go on this long description of how to use the explore photos feature of seeing AI to teach yourself how to take pictures. So I walked around trying to think of what what makes noise that everybody has that you could aim at and take pictures And I finally came up with it. The kitchen sink. Everybody's got one. So Mm -hmm. turn on the water in the kitchen sink and then, you know, step back, take the picture. And then seeing AI will identify it usually. Sometimes it'll say faucet. Sometimes it'll say kitchen sink. But you can also, it'll very likely will identify other things around it you know, kitchen cabinets, cupboards above it, whatever you might, a window, whatever you might have in your house. So you clearly take photos a lot. You're into this in a big way. Some blind people say to me, what is the point of doing this, of creating photos, of learning how to do it when I'm creating content that I can't personally consume or verify? Two reasons. One, we need to take photos. We need to take photos to to every time we scan things, every we need to know how to take a photo, to have things identified, to share, even using even using visual interpreter services, you you still need to use the camera on your phone. But it's also fun to share photos. I mean, sighted people share photos with each other. It's fun for us to share photos with a sighted person. You know, my the cherry tree in my front yard is blooming beautifully. Here, I'll send you a picture of it. You know. And and I would like when I take that picture of that cherry tree for it to be a decent picture if I'm going to send it to somebody. So I think it's fun to share photos. And even if I can't see the photo, somebody else can. And also to get information about things. You can send a photo to somebody and they can tell you stuff. Things you might actually want to know. Another section in this book that was that's really fun is uh, I really uh, took a chance and I 
have, I think it's about six different photos that I took. And then I describe my thought processes. I'm, when I'm going to take this photo, what did I think about? How did I decide how far away to be? How did I decide what where the light was coming from? How did I decide all these things? So what, what all went into my thinking? Then I take the picture, and then I sent it to a friend of mine who's very knowledgeable about photography, and then he critiqued it very honestly. <laughs> so, well, let's see, this was okay, but this wasn't. And so it's, so I, I, uh, you can see what I did wrong and what I learned from it. And then he makes suggestions on what I might consider. That raises a big question for me though, is with all of the changes that we've seen since get the picture was written, there's a lot more feedback that you get from your iPhone. Now, when you're lining up a picture, uh, it, it voiceover is really trying to be helpful about what the picture is. And also when you're reviewing your photos, we're going to see significant improvement in this regard, even in iOS 14, where we get a lot more information as we review photos about what's in them. Do you think we've got to the point yet, though, where as a blind person, you can verify that this is actually a good photo? This is worthy of sending to someone or posting on social media, because I think that's what makes people nervous. Those of us who are perfectionists are worried about sending stuff into the wild that really looks like, oh my goodness, a blind person has clearly taken this photo. I would certainly like to have my photo, if I was at all concerned, and I also sometimes am, I also would, would still have my photos vetted by someone I trust just to make sure it's okay. But I think our chances of having a photo that ends up being okay are, are just better and better all the time. One of the features that's in iOS 13, I guess it was in the, the um, 11 family of phones, is because it has so many cameras, it has the ability to capture outside the frame. So you might have a particular frame for the camera you're using, and, but it will go ahead and capture additional information. And then when you use something like straighten, it actually has some real estate to include in the picture when it's straightening and it can do, it can straighten itself. So there's many editing things that you can do yourself without having to have anybody do them at all. And it will straighten, it will crop, and it actually does a decent job. And the book covers making use of those oh. if you happen to have a high oh, yes. phone, I take it. Yeah, It does, in, de in detail. So that's the majority of the book is the features. The, there's so many features now of the camera app and the photos app. So they are dealt with in, in infinite detail in this book and just all the things you can do with the camera app and then the photos app and editing. And then I had a, a good time um, with a, with a gimbal and taking videos at, that, that came out really nicely. Right. So video is covered as well as still photos. Oh yes. Yeah. And video and video editing. I've been having a chat to screen reader manufacturers about how I find video conferencing so much easier on my iPhone. And the one reason for this is that before I go into a video conference, I load up the camera app and it tells me what the front facing camera can see. So I know when my face is centered and that I'm a good distance and well positioned for going into the video conference so that when I do, it doesn't look like I'm a blind person going into the video conference. I'm, I'm visible. There's no way to do that in Windows. That's true. That's a good idea. 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that the iPhone is increasingly becoming the tool of choice for certain activities. And we do have quite a few blind people now who are doing fairly well on YouTube, creating videos that are getting a lot of views. In a lot of ways, videos are easier than, than photos because, you know, you, you can move it around and and uh, just take a picture of what's there. And because you're continuing to move, you, you don't have so much to worry about framing and that sort of thing. I take it that you also cover portrait versus landscape, which is something that kind of does befuddle people who've never really looked at photos. I'll tell you how that that finally made sense to me when I when I and I say this in the book that that sighted people prefer photos to be landscape. And unless you have a compelling reason to make it portrait, like you're taking a picture of something very tall and skinny, uh, for the most part, you really want to take your photos in landscape. And it's because vision is landscape. This landscape is what people see in. And I think it's I think that's why they prefer pictures in landscape. Who's the target audience for this book, Judy? Would it be people who have a lot of experience with photography or people just starting out or can both categories benefit? I think probably somebody who is a beginner would would get a lot out of it. Um, but it, it is definitely to totally blind people. It doesn't deal at all with low vision because I am not and would really have little to offer. So it's really for people with no vision and people who, you know, don't don't mind taking some risks, uh, controlled risks, but risks sometimes nonetheless. And people who, uh, I think, all different levels of, I mean, even even people who have taken a fair number of pictures in their life could get a lot out of this book. I, I describe the process of setting up a shared album and I suggest um, that people get a photo coach and just, you know, have have a, a friend that they trust uh, share a photo album. So you can just share your photos easily and then and they can comment easily. And it's a really slick way to share your photos and, and get almost instant feedback. <laughs> I do remember the first time that I really got interested in taking pictures with my iPhone and I was taking pictures of my children who were younger but just as rambunctious then and they would definitely give me feedback in the way that only kids can give <laughs> their parents feedback you know it's a really sucky photo dad and yeah this is what you need to do and that was one of the ways that I learned about taking good photos was simply to practice on willing guinea pigs <laughs> it was a lot harder than for those who seriously get into this, there are a wide range of accessories available. I actually have, I borrowed from Bonnie this little tripod. I think it's called a Manfredo or something like that. Um, it's pretty popular in the journalism area where you clip your phone into this tripod. You can put it on a desk and take video usually of press conferences and that sort of thing. So you've got a, a wide range of accessories for your phone. Tripods are really fun, and yes, I do talk, do talk about tripods. There's a really cool one that where the legs of the tripod are very flexible, and they are covered with suction cups, so you can just attach this thing almost anywhere and put your phone on it and have your phone be where you want it to be. I talk about all the different things you can do with a selfie stick. Uh, I needed to uh, get some information about the 
jacks on the back of my receiver and I used a selfie stick and put my phone over the back and took took a picture of it so that I didn't bother to pull it out just put the selfie stick behind the receiver and took a picture and it worked so there's cool things you can do with selfie sticks besides take pictures of yourself yes there are also things called lazy brackets that are there's all different kinds of those and they're just kind of flexible um, not wires, they're thicker than wires, kind of cables, but they're flexible foam-covered things. Another big you know, thing you can twist all up and, and then have has a phone holder on it. And the mobile gimbal, the, the, the device for taking videos that stabilizes the video and while you're holding it. It's, it's a very fun and very cool thing. And then a lot of lenses and battery cases and all this stuff. The Apple battery case for the iPhone 11 actually has a photo-taking button on it. Yes, that's quite a nice piece of technology, and it just sort of snaps on and puts this little bulge on the back of your phone. But um, it does make a considerable difference, although I have to say with the 11 Pro Max that I have, the battery just goes on and on and on. It's remarkable. Yeah, I have the 11 Pro, so my battery only goes on and on. <laughs> okay. That is capturing and sharing the capturing and sharing the world. It is the new book from Judy Dixon, and you can find it at www.nbp, that is short for nationalbraillepress.org. You can get it in a myriad of formats. You can even get it in hard copy braille if you like to have the dots under your fingertips in front, or you can get it for instant download in a variety of formats. So, Judy Dixon's book at nbp.org. Mosin at Large Podcast. We've talked on Mosin at Large in the past about audio description, particularly in the context of my experiments getting a Sonos Arc up and running. And you will have heard, if you've listened to the podcast, various hurdles we had along the way. And when we finally got those hurdles resolved in a technical sense with the Sony TV that we purchased, we found that quite a few of the studios are not encoding their audio description soundtrack in the maximum quality that the rest of the content is available. In other words, if you have a 5.1 movie or an Atmos movie, you may only be getting, at worst, stereo on the audio description, perhaps even mono. I was having a Reddit conversation about this, and somebody who chimed in with some very interesting info on this, he's been exploring it as well, is Marco Salsiccia, and he joins me now. Hi, Marco. Really good to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good meeting you. This business with audio description, it really is quite disappointing, right? What have you found in this regard? Uh, yeah, so again, also since going blind, like I used to be a major movie buff, and after losing my vision and realizing that movies weren't lost to me because there was such a thing as audio description. It's kind of been a big roller coaster. Like it was fantastic that it was available. And then I had to get used to kind of the idea of going to a movie theater and using like a little radio device to listen to a separate audio track independent of everybody else in the theater while enjoying the movie. And then learning that, uh, you know, you had secondary audio programming on uh, TV uh, for broadcast networks and that the FCC here in the USA has uh, specific guidelines and laws based on how much content could be audio described uh, any given month and what they have to provide on that. And then also finding out that DVDs and Blu-ray discs, uh, most movies 
from 2009 onwards had an audio descriptive track. So it was interesting finding that out, but also disappointing when I found out how wildly different it was uh, for each movie house. Some movies don't even have it. Um, and, and as you spoke about, like at the preface of this whole idea is that the audio quality of having to use audio description is um, very diminished compared to what other people get to experience. So can we start with best practice first, I suppose, in an attempt to be positive? Which studios have you found to be the best in terms of honoring the highest available format without audio description and bringing that across? I believe uh, at the moment, uh, well, Netflix is a really good start. Um, Netflix was the first to really do it, like focusing uh, all of their content that because they they were creating their content with 5.1. And the audio descriptive track is in the center channel and they use like a five decibel drop, like a main audio drop behind for the actual dialogue or for the audio behind the audio description. So it's easier to hear. Um, So that was really good. And I think for Blu-ray discs, um, Pixar and Disney, they've been able to, well, at least on the Pixar side, like they've been able to provide audio description and five without sacrificing the five one. But um I have to think more about that. Like, (laughs) it's been a little while since I've watched an actual Blu-ray disc. Right. So I can confirm your findings with Netflix and 5.1, and and I really do appreciate that. So I was quite disappointed when I got set up for Atmos. You know, it's been a dream of mine to be capable of receiving Atmos for some years, Mm. uh, only to find that with the few Atmos titles that are available in Netflix, they are going down to 5.1 when you turn audio description on. What I find... I guess a, a little bit encouraging, though, is that when I called Netflix customer support, they genuinely seem interested. And in the few times that I've had to call Netflix customer support about anything, it's remarkably good, actually. They they do really seem to take these issues seriously, and they put me on hold, and they said they would investigate. So who knows whether anything will come of that, and perhaps it's just been inadvertent. I don't know what's happening with Disney, because actually Disney's been restricting their Atmos content for a while because of the lockdown and they've been um, narrowing their bandwidth. So I I haven't been able to confirm, but Apple TV Plus is absolutely on track. When you listen to an Apple TV Plus soundtrack in Atmos, you're getting the audio description uh, in Atmos as well. Oh, no, that's fantastic to hear. Yeah, with my 5.1 system, I I just started up with Disney Plus uh, to check that out. And, um, I was, you know, I was happy with the, uh, with the way that content was provided. I think I, I did Hamilton, we did Flight of the Navigator and some Pixar content. And, uh, I was able to hear like the five one with, if it was in five one, I was able to at least hear that with the audio description, just the center channel. What about Amazon prime? Do you know what that's doing? So I, I can't actively try Amazon prime because I have a Vizio, I have a 4k Vizio TV and Amazon Prime, the app for the Vizio television, like with her, there wasn't, there hasn't been much content on Amazon that I've actually looked at. So I, I would need to, to do a little more research. But um, I always thought that the Amazon description was only available on Amazon devices and on uh, the computer. So you had to have like one of those Toshiba uh, Fire TVs to get the to get the full um, Amazon like the the screen reader that they have built into their prime 
system. Yeah, vo- voice view, I think it's called. Yeah, voice view, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can't get that. You can't get that on the um, the Vizio TVs. But I'll, I'll have to go back and and recheck that because I think we had some audio description, but um, honestly, we just haven't looked at any content because Netflix takes up all of our time. <laughs> yeah, there's loads of Amazon uh, Prime audio described content, and I just need to be able to check. But with the Sonos gear that we have, they've made it very easy with a little icon that's accessible as well on their screen that shows you when it's streaming Atmos. You do have to dig a little deeper to find out whether it's getting 5.1, but generally you can hear that um, mm-hmm. easily enough. But the Atmos is very easy to detect uh, in an official sense. There are just so many variables too. So I was initially disappointed to find that in, in my initial experience, Apple was not doing audio described uh, in Atmos. But what I actually found was that on our Samsung TV, the one that we have, the Apple TV app, is just not playing Atmos at all. When I uh, plugged the Apple TV into that television and used Apple TV Plus content on the Apple TV, we got glorious audio described Atmos. And I mean, it's on a show like C, where you have some quite amazing action there. Um, it really does make quite a distinct difference between listening in 5.1 and listening in Atmos with some of those uh, scenes involving wild animals and that kind of stuff. It's really quite spectacular. Have you taken this further? Have you done a bit of advocacy to tell people, hey, guys, you know, some of your audio-described soundtracks are are pretty crummy audio? Yeah, I I need still need to file this up with with Marvel and I guess the Disney side, but yeah. So at ACB, the American Council of the Blind conference a few years back, I they happened to have a panel on the FCC and the upcoming updates to audio descriptive content for for broadcast television and Directv, uh, Amazon, um, I think Comcast was there. Like a, f- a few of the the provide- cable providers were there, and I was able to speak with um, the accessibility specialist for each of the s- providers. And I got a variety of different responses from everyone. Like some of them didn't even know that they weren't providing like five, audio description of five one. Um, Directv specifically said that they they just had some technical broadcast issues with. Um, providing SAP and for broadcast channels. Like if you're watching here in the U.S., if you're on Fox, you can watch like The Simpsons or, or Bob's Burgers, um, which are fully – or well, Bob's Burgers is audio described. Even when you DVR record it or if you just watch it in general, like you lose the the 5-1 mix. It just, it just all of a sudden all the audio just comes through all the speakers and you hear a downgrade in quality when you're switching over to SAP and – they just kept coming back saying like, oh, well, technically we can't, we can't do it. We have like a lot of these technical issues. So that's kind of where it stood. And yeah, I've pushed more for Amazon to do it. And I just need to keep getting on DirecTV, even though I'm no longer a DirecTV customer at the moment. I get the idea that with older, perhaps digital TV systems, there may be some legitimate issues there with bandwidth capacity or something like that. But when you're talking about streaming stuff, um, content apps like Netflix, and which is doing all right, Amazon Prime, that kind of thing, really all, all it is, it's just another language choice, isn't it? And so somebody's making a conscious decision in that use case to say, oh, blind people don't need this particular language track to be in 5.1 or Atmos. And that seems extraordinarily stupid to me because 
blind people out of all of the audience are more likely to really appreciate and enjoy the time that's been put into a 5.1 or an Atmos mix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, anytime something comes up like this, I just point to Netflix and say, Hey, look, they're like, they're doing it and it works really well. Um, there's, there's no reason why you have to crush this into 2.0 and basically from feedback that I've gotten. So I, I have some friends that are actual audio describers. So they, they write the script for the audio description and some of them actually do the, the, the vocal parts of the description itself. And from what I've gathered in, in that industry is when movies, let, let's say, let's take, uh, let's take Thor for this man. Like I, I was really excited to have the third Thor, um, uh, Ragnarok. Like I wanted that Blu-ray disc because Blu-ray, you know, it has the, like the best audio quality for an actual f- physical disc. Mm. And I got that, popped it in. And then as soon as we switched to, you hear it right in the settings, like you have this beautiful, like, like five one ready to go. And then you switch to audio description, and it's 2.0 stereo. And on, it, on the disc? On the disc. Like it's the disc itself. Extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> it's frustrating. And then you, then I went back, and like, wait, I was watching Guardians of the Galaxy, and I can hear, like, all the stuff in the back channels. So that, oh, that is 2.0. So I, I found out that basically every Marvel movie on Blu-ray, like the highest quality disc that you're getting, they're, they're doing this. They're crushing it to 2.0. And... The reason that happens is because it's so such a last minute thought that the directors and the movie houses are like, oh yeah, audio description. And then they send the vendor, like whoever's producing the audio description, whether it's Deluxe or uh, uh, WGBH or and there's a, bu- a bunch of different um, people that serve the audio descriptive content. They basically get a mixed the, the mix down of the full movie. So they have the entire movie in just some, in just like either a stereo file and they have to use that audio to kind of create their own audio track. So they know where to duck the audio down to put the, to put their mix in. And basically the vendors have to provide, they have like a, just a rendered copy of the, of the audio. They layer their own audio over that. And then they, they return it back. Uh, they mix the whole thing down and return it back to the movie house. So then they're forced to provide a 2.0 crushed version and not they don't get to, to provide a separate track that they can the dvd provider can layer into its own audio uh, like language channel and blind people historically have been conditioned to just be quietly grateful for any accommodation and really i think in this case what we're seeing is that as you say it is often an afterthought it may be in some cases in some small cases there are legitimate technical issues but in most cases it's actually saying oh blind people can can, can be fobbed off with second class audio which is just so ironic right yeah and then it's hard to find like the feedback forums that you need to announce like twitter's made it a little easier you can use twitter to uh, great success in most, some cases to kind of publicly shame people into mm. saying like, hey, why did you, you know, I'm not getting an equitable experience here. What, what's going on? But trying, but by the time, the problem is like once a DVD comes out, like they're not going to, re, they may reissue it later as some kind of special features disc or something. But by the time that's already produced, you know, there's nothing, you can, there's nothing to be done, which is why I think more people are starting to move towards you know, streaming media because it's it's already ready to go there and it's easy enough to fix on their end technically they don't have to like go reprint millions of dvds yeah it's just very very unfortunate i wonder whether the answer is to come up with some sort of wiki 
And I have a pretty busy day job, so I'm not sure if I'll get to this, but I'd like to. Uh, but if somebody beats me to it, that's fine too. I think it will be great to have a website that you can go to where you can plug in the name of a movie and you will immediately get information back on the type and quality of the audio description that you can expect if you get the disc and if you stream it from different services. Yeah, I think, I mean, you have heard of the audio description project from the American Council of the Blind. Mm -hmm. uh, the audio description project is a website that they set up that does exactly that. Like it, it, it has a, a search feature that shows you the movie. It provides you links to buy the movie on Amazon or Apple or wherever the movie, like physical movie is hosted. And we'll also show you like Netflix or Disney plus or Amazon prime and, and gives a breakdown of, you know, what's audio described and what's not. Uh, however, as to the quality of the description, I think that might be one little feature that they might need to add. Uh, right. I, I was familiar with that project. So maybe then rather than reinvent the wheel, which is ridiculous, and there's far too much of that stuff going on in the blind community where people duplicate effort, uh, maybe then it would be good to approach whoever's maintaining that and say, look, a useful additional field to add would be to tell us about the quality of the description in terms of its encoding. Yeah, that, that, that would be good. I think uh, my wife, Amy, keeps trying to, to poke the webmaster of that to, to just kind of update it, but we haven't gotten a response yet. We can just keep trying. I think one of the ultimate takeaways from this is, uh, you know, if enough people voice their discontent with these, these issues, you know, if we can make our voices heard, then something will get done. Otherwise, if you just kind of quietly resign yourself to not doing anything, that it'll never get changed, then it'll just keep you know, propagating itself and yeah. people won't and, know. And this one in particular is just outrageous and nonsensical. Why would you give blind people of all groups crappy audio? Exactly. Why would you? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. So yeah. I hope more people will speak out about this. Um, so I appreciate you having a chat with us about this and, and congratulations for all the research and the advocacy that you have done. And hopefully we can keep in touch and report positive progress in the months and years ahead. Yeah, I thank you very much. To contribute to Mosin at Large, you can email Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com by writing something down or attaching an audio file. Or you can call our listener line. It's a U.S. number, 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. Mosin at Large.